Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. Uh, we're back with a, a, a part two of our conversation with Tom, your wonderful sponsor, Alan. I'll turn it over to you. Well, I'm so excited that we're back with part two because, you know, look, Tom's got over 53 years in recovery now. He could probably sit and talk to us for 53 years about his experience, which I would sit and hang out. Every I, can sit, I can sit and listen. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, he, he has that incredible ability to bring you into his experience in his storytelling. I love it. I mean, uh, I just sit there when I'm with him and I just listen to these stories and no matter how many times I hear them, they still touch me so deeply. So I'm so excited. You know, he's going to continue sharing with us today, his journey in recovery, especially specifically paying attention to the discovery of his purpose in life, which is really to be in, in loving action, right? To really, to really make a difference in this world. And that's the purpose that he's discovered. And he's really done it. I got to tell you, he's touched the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. You've heard what he's done. He's just carried this message all around the world, places like Iran, Japan, you know, Asia, um, Germany. I mean, it's just Spain. It's just an incredible story. And and I'm so glad, Tom, that you're here to continue with us. So let's continue the journey with Tom. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Look at Alan. You know, I go out there to the Marine Courier Station. This little hard ass is, you know, and you guys don't know this. His name was Boo Boo. That, that was Alan's Boo-boo? nickname. Boo Boo. Yeah, Boo Boo. Boo Boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I'm yeah. glad we know it. <laughs> yeah. Now you know it. So, so I, um, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, I forget how many guys were 30, 40, 50 guys. The room was packed. And, um, and uh, Alan was in the back, sitting there in the back, you know, and the guys up front, they're all, you know, I'm never going to use again, man, you know, da, da, and they're going into all this shit. And Alan's back there saying, what, what this, this fucking guy, you know, mm-hmm. running this bullshit to us, you know, and it's like, um, you know, this fucking hippie and, uh, um, you know, he's probably still using, he's probably, you know, holding right now, he's probably loaded right now. <laughs> and then, then, you know, we kept sharing. And suddenly a little door opened up inside of his heart and uh, he started hearing the message and uh, and boom, he was in. Wow. And that's what happened. Boom for boo, 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 had felt boom. It's like, it's, it's, I, but you know, one of the things I've loved about y'all's story when Alan talks about it so often too, is I just love the, because I, I think, I don't think we can ever get enough lessons in letting go of our, our just automatic unconscious deep, seated judgments and i love i love the fact that 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 the hip the hippie take, takes on the young marine you know as this as the, as the sponsor and it's you know the, just that in those in those 
outside ways, how different, you know, it, it would all look and I would be, and, and just knowing, just knowing, you know, Alan, as well as I do, and you a little bit, Tom, just spending time with you and, it's, and you are an open book. So I feel like I do know that you, it's like, you know, and I realize, of course, it's like not so different, you know, but it's like on the outside. Absolutely. And I love any, I love stories that tell the story that, that basically help us let go. Don't let go of that. Don't, don't, don't judge the cover. Let me take that story a little further. So, you know, Tom celebrated 50 years a few years ago. And of course, I'm, I'm going to go there. It's at Kailua Park is a celebration right across the bay from the Kaneohe Marine Corps Air Station. And it just, you know, came to me. I'm going to reach out to the Marine Corps base and see if they would be willing to write and and some kind of accommodation for the work that Tom did with all of these Vietnam veterans. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, now this is, you know, my goodness, 47 years after I was on the island, right? I mean, it's like a long time. So I reach out and now they have a whole behavioral science unit, but they had heard about what happened over at the drug center. And when I told them the story, they remembered that this story, even though they didn't know the name. So literally the day of his celebration, I'm at the base meeting the director of this program now, and they had an official commendation for him, recognizing his work with all of the Vietnam veterans. And it's and it's literally filed now in the Department of Navy. I mean, cool. I mean, that's the magic in this thing. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And actually, you know, actually, Alan, it's it's it's, it's hysterical. Um, it's <laughs> I, I wasn't a draft dodger. I just wouldn't go. You know, I just I wouldn't take the step forward. <laughs> and he's no, you're the, you're the guy that if thoughtfulness shows up, you just say shut the fuck up and get away from me. It's like so. It's, <laughs> But it was amazing. And, and, you know, just to share that, you know, you start to hear the purpose that Tom is talking about. I mean, there are so many people's lives that he's not only touched, let's say, in those moments, because even one of the fellow Marines out there, this guy, this other guy named Tom, um, he came to the celebration and it was Tom Lyle. And um, it was it's just amazing. The lives. But. But look, Tom, you've just that has just like talk about the magic. You've been all over the world carrying this message. All over the world. Could you share everybody what happened in when you went to Iran? First time I went and I was gone uh, for an entire month and we we uh, crossed the whole country, went to all the major cities, you know, um, Mashhad, Besperan, you know, I mean, all the major ones. Um, and I was on the, the, the rural board of Narcotics Anonymous at the time. And we had, and we knew the fellowship was growing in Iran. You know, we just didn't know how big it was growing. And suddenly we got this, um, this, this letter from Iran saying that they were holding a convention. And the, um, and the vice president of Iran wanted to come and, and, and give them an honor, you know, as, as being, you know, an NGO, you know, a nonprofit, and um, and they um, and they were leery about doing it because of the twelve traditions, and so they asked. But they mentioned that there was going to be the convention was going to have about fourteen thousand people there, and we thought that's crazy. 
even even here in the United States, our conventions don't get any bigger than that, you know. And um, so we sent two of our board members, one from from um, Germany and one from Sweden, because we didn't want to send an American in there quite yet. And um, to see is is it NA or is it NA as as we know it? And they came back and said, you know, no, it's not NA as we know it. It's NA better than we've ever known it. I mean, everybody is like into the twelve steps and traditions. They're sponsoring people. They're they're like working. You know, they're just. It was just amazing. Wow. And so, you know, so it's a culture that we that I don't think a lot of us even even understood. You know, a very different culture. It's not an Arabic culture. It's a it's a, it's a Persian culture. And um, um, so, so later, you know, we were invited to come and, and do a bunch of workshops in Iran. So, so um, we end up staying, you know, so really it just, it was me and uh, this other woman, Becky, who was the assistant uh, executive director of any role services. So it was she and I that really stayed for the whole month. And, um, and so, I, you know, and, and you know, and we'd be mobbed with people. They'd all want, you know, you know, it was like we were rock stars, really. They wanted our autographs, <laughs> pinching me and kissing me behind the neck. And I mean, it's, <laughs> believe me, if you, if you ever have any fantasies about being a rock star, you, that's a good way to get over it, you know, because it was, no <laughs> it was got, got to be a little bit scary, you know, at times, you know, when you, you know, if, you know you, you'd end the workshop and, and four or five people run up to you, you know, you know, you know, can I take a selfie? You know, can I, you know, take, and then another four or five behind them, another four or five, and then 30 or 40, then 50 or 60, then, then you know, and we literally had handlers, you know, to try to control them, you know, and, and, and pull us out of the crowds, you know, because they, they, they were, they were relentless, scary, really. You know, and, you know, and, and, you know, and just because they all loved you there, you know, and, and you're a big deal to them. You were also in Iran where there's people there that hate Americans. <laughs> you know, and so you never knew what could happen. You know, I mean, you know, someone could be hugging you, someone could be sticking you in the back with a knife, you know, and, you know, so you, they wanted to protect you, you know. And so we were in Shiraz and they said they wanted us to speak at a, at a big meeting um, in the afternoon on a work day. So we're thinking, okay, Maybe it's probably three, 300 people. It would be a big meeting. So we're driving down the street and the street is getting really, really crowded. Bumper to bumper traffic, sidewalks are full of people walking along, you know, and, and I just think we're in a busy part of the town. And suddenly everybody starts turning through these gates into this big open field. And at the end, way out in the middle of the field, is this huge sports arena. Everybody's walking towards it, and the cars are pulling in, and our car pulls in, and I'm going, "What the fuck is going on, man?" And we drove around the backside of the the arena, and they opened up these doors, and they brought us through, and bringing us through these hallways. And um, as we get up through the hallways, they also we started hearing this 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 roar getting louder and louder and louder. And then they open up, and they brought us into this area where you're, where you're pretty protected from everybody. There's 10,000 10, addicts down there. And they're and they're all like, you know, gathering around. There's one section that's all women, you know, and you know, and, and uh and we're like um we're me and Becky are going, oh my God. You know, it, uh, I remember Becky saying to me, Oh my god, Tom, how did we ever how did we ever, you know, what was the word she used? Um 
how do we ever get this this opportunity to have a you know you know to, to to do something like this and i said you know all we did and ducky is we shot a bunch of dope and um, and we stopped using that's how we did <laughs> you know, step step one use a lot of dope yeah. okay <laughs> so so um so as we we sitting there all of a sudden the the crowd started realizing that we were there and then all of a sudden he started hearing this noise and there was this everybody all at once this chant going off and you know, and I, and I and I looked at this guy Siamak, and I said, I said, what, what's going on down there, man? He says they're, um, he says they're all they're all chanting, they're all saying, you know, telling you that they love you guys, and um, and um, and I remember when they asked for, for for my clean time, how clean, you know, I think at that time I was, I don't know, maybe forties, two years or something like that, I, I forget. But they, uh, when I asked my clean time, they all chanted this thing all at the same time. And I said, so what did they say? And he goes, they say, it made nothing ever take it from you. You know, and it's, um, it's a trip, man. And, oh, and, um, man. You know, so, yeah, yeah you know. I still, I still so care about that. I mean, it's so powerful, man. Well, here's this, so here's this, here's this skinny little hippie coming out of the bushes and this woman flowered picking him up. Couldn't even talk. Couldn't even talk. I stut stuttered and mumbled so bad you couldn't even understand me. And um, and um, and here I am, standing up in front of ten thousand Iranians, you know, speaking. And um, you know, it's like um, talk about, you know, and what did Flaubert say? You know, and 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 our job now is become an open channel for God to use us in any way He can. And, um, wide wide open buddy wide open it's like it's i was just talking to somebody yesterday about how we how we hold memories in our bodies and i just cannot keep from imagining when you just to, to put myself in your place as nearly as i could just you you carry that with you that sense and i can tell why you tell the story even the sounds that you make to to imitate the sound in your in your physical body moving it's like you you stood there and soaked that up you know, you tell your clean time and it's, I mean, nobody take it, be nothing, take it from you. It's like, it's, ah, it's just, it's, I mean, that ripple effect comes all the way over here from where you are in Hawaii to where I am in rural Tennessee right now. It's it, that ripple effect from that moment is still going. It's beautiful. Let me, let me tell you another really cool story. 79 or 80, um, the AA central office called me up again, you know, they had something for the dope fiend here to take care of. <laughs> Come on, somebody get the dope fiend. Yeah. So there was a, a guy from Japan. His name was Kiyoshi. And he he came to Hawaii and he went to the AA meeting in the central office. And he says, I want to start Narcotics Anonymous in Japan. And, uh, and they said, well, we know this guy, you know, Tom Call. And he, um, he's an N.A., Mm -hmm. So they put me in touch with him. He came over to my house. We, we had a translator and we sat and we talked for a few hours and I, I gave him all our literature and stuff. And eventually they started coming to our NA gatherings we had on, on Oahu. And, um, and so we were getting to know, you know, you know, the members and stuff. And, and they would, they would all say to me, Tom, please, please come, come to Japan. And I would say, yeah, I, I would love to come to Japan. And the, and the way the Japanese would respond to you when you say, yeah, I would love to come to Japan. They say, 
Ah, so we will wait. <laughs> so, so I, uh, so I was on the I was on the board of trustees for NA, and so I I went to the Rural Service Office in LA, and I said, "I got the Japanese keep wanting me to come," and they said, "Well, you know, well, we ain't getting enough money to send you, but you know, but if you want to go, go." He says, "But if you go, do us the favor, find out how the Japanese are translating the God stuff." You know, this is the first judo non judo Christian you know, community, you know, mm -hmm. in NA and um, it's Buddhist, you know, and, um, you know, Buddhism is different concept, you know, and um, it's, it's not even a concept. And, you know, so how, find out how they're doing it, how they're trans, you know, tr translating the 12 steps, you know, the, the God stuff. So, so I get to Japan. Um, they pick me up at my hotel in the morning and take me all around Tokyo and, um, I got back to my hotel room that night and the uh, hotel staff has my, um, my passport and they go, Mr. McCall, your passport, you, lo you lost your passport in the subway and, and someone had found it. And, uh, and, 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 and fortunately I had put my hotel receipt in the passport mm -hmm. and the Japanese would consider it a, an honor to find something so important and return it, you know, to its owner. And so someone actually brought it all the way across. Tokyo is a huge city, man. <laughs> brought it all the way across to that hotel and delivered it. Well, the, there was four or five, maybe six NA members that were with me standing there. And all at the same time, they all went, oh, Tom, hiya, power. <laughs> I, mean, I thought to myself, what? You know, I didn't, so I kind of didn't think too much of it. And then, uh, you know, the next day they picked me up and we're going around Tokyo again and we go by these places. It's all glittery and, you know, and, and I say, what are these things? And they go, oh, uh, pachinko. I said, what, what's pachinko? And they, you know, sort of like a slot machine, pinball machine. It's a gambling thing. They're everywhere. And the, the Japanese love them, you know, they're, they're strung out on them. And so, so they bring me in there and they set me down in front of a machine. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm winning like crazy. And the, the NA members stand there going, oh, Tom, how you have power strong in you? <laughs> you know, and, and I tell you, suddenly, suddenly, suddenly I, I got it. I said, you know what? These guys got exactly what the rest of us got. We don't know what the fuck we got. All we know is for the first time in our life, something is working. Something is working and nothing has ever worked in our life before. Oh my God. And they call it high apart. You, you, can, you can call it the doorknob. It doesn't matter. It's just so long as you know something is working in your life. You don't have to understand it. The magic is happening. The magic is happening. Something's happening and I didn't do it. It's like, <laughs> that's great. No, and you know, the, and the thing, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, You'd think I'd have all these skills and stuff, you know, um, you know, to, to do, you know, because I did a lot of fellowship development in NA, but there's no skills. I just show up. Mm -hmm. It's just showed up. That's all. Just, just be myself, you know, you know, um, you know, don't try to tell people what to do or how they should be doing things. Listen, you know, and, um, you know, I think if, if, there's, if there's any skill at all, is the skill is listening, you know, yeah. And, um, you can't you can't direct people anyways you know especially addicts jesus as soon as, soon as you tell an addict what he should do forget it man they're not gonna do it you've lost right. it. Right. Right. You've and lost we say, is it what do we say okay go ahead and rebel 
It's like, yeah. well, you know, you know, it's, that, like, that's just leaving it in their lap. That's what, that's what your inner voice did for you that at, at that thoughtfulness moment, it just kept, it just, you know, it, it, it wasn't encouraging to rebel. It just left it in your lap. It's, you know, it's basically, it's up to you, man. And it's yeah. like, yeah. Well, Tom, Tom has also shared with me many times the kind of the, the paradox between we're a group of anarchists that when we come into the program, want to have all these rules. <laughs> I mean, oh, absolutely. Like, oh, God. I mean, oh, the, oh a, the paradox of that is. This yeah, is crazy. how it's got to be. This is this is the way it is. This is, We're not going to do this. You can't say sober. You can't say sober. And, and, and you know, it's, it's you're only clean here, you know, um, <laughs> on and on. You know, it's that, <laughs> that, that crap. It's amazing. It's amazing yeah. that, that our fellowship, our fellowship survive us. <laughs> Higher power. It's like, it's, it's, <laughs> I say, well, I mean, if you, and if you study groups and stuff like that, leaderless groups, I mean, truly leaderless groups, that's an almost impossible thing to do. It's, it's, it's like, you know, and, it, and it's like, yeah, the study, the study of just the, the AA in, in it's in the macro and the micro is just like, it's fascinating. And, and, and miraculous is the only thing I can say. Tom, this woman Flaubert, I remember, I remember one time saying to her, you know, you're my spiritual mother. And she snapped on me. She goes, don't you ever call me your mother. I'm not your mother. I'm Flaubert and, 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 and I'm an alcoholic drug addict just like you. Don't you ever forget it. I'm not your guru. I'm not your teacher. You know. And boy, she made that clear, you know. Now, I, one of the things I love about what, what I got from, from reading the chapter in Alan's book, but also especially from you talking about it today, is what a, what a wonderful model of, 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 of be a person without ego, without an ego investment. I mean, whether she had an ego investment in other things in her life, I don't know. But, but in terms of being, being there for other people, there's none. It's like the idea, especially, I mean, as, as told in the idea of, of leaving you behind when, when the, you know, it's like that you have to do what I did, not, not follow me around. It's like, you know, I, I, hell, I mean, my, my I had a little guy in the back of my head that, at that moment was said, said, Buddy, I don't know if you would have had the the ability to let go of ego enough to do something like that. That's that's you know, and it's like with best of intentions, but still, it would be you know, she she fully understood, and I think that I think you're as as whether she would like me to say it or not, as, as a protege of hers, it's like you have that too, where it's it's like I've never I've never had in, in the times I've been around you, and the few times I've been around you, I've never had, I've never. Uh, if you could, if, if ego has a smell, I haven't ever gotten a whiff of it anywhere near you. I highly will. Well, yeah. I mean, I can smell it around <laughs> Alan. <laughs> no, hey, hey, it's it's the sponsoring I've gotten, you know? It's you, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still a work in progress. Well, I think with, with you and I in the room, Alan, it's probably sp- very strong smelling. It's like... <laughs> So, so, Patrick, what do you think about all this? Yes. Where does the emotional sobriety piece come in in your work together with Alan? I'm just curious. Like, And also, just to you specifically, when did you develop the sense that the physical sobriety is just the first part, that the life's work then becomes, you know, not only recovery yeah. coming about because of our connection to each other, but also... Um, unpacking what these unreasonable, these expectations and rules are and how those 
fuck with us. Well, Patrick, it's, it's like this. Okay, so, you know, when people first come into recovery, you know, they typically they come in in a, in a state of desperation. That's, that's, you know, if, they, if they're going to stick around, they, they, it's because they're in a, a state of desperation. They're in trouble, you know. And, um, and so, and so the, um, so they came in the room, they, you know, so, so the big deal is getting clean, you know, just getting clean. And then, then the next big deal is staying clean. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, an AA talk, you know, it would be, you know, getting sober and then staying, you know, staying sober. The sobriety part or the, you know, the living clean part is a whole other stage. That's the emotional sobriety part. It's like you go beyond the getting clean and staying clean. Now you're living clean. And that's um, in, in order to live clean, that means all the areas of your life are cleaning up. You know, you're, you're, you're thinking, you know, um, probably the hardest work, hardest work I've done in recovery. And I've done a lot of work, believe me. I mean, this, this hasn't been any, you know, any spiritual astral glide, you know, experience, you know, there's been a lot of pushback, a lot of, you know, a lot of rub against, you know, the, the process here. I fought too, believe me, I fought against it. Um, but the, um, but the, um, the whole process of, um, of getting out of myself, all that stuff is all important and all that kind of stuff. But the actual getting to a place where I start understanding who I am and what I am, and understand how I tick. Okay, so, so, you know, I, I used to throw around this this little, this term. You probably heard people say it. I was born an addict. Or I was born an alcoholic. It's it's in my DNA. Whatever. Mm. Well, that's great. That's a great little thing to say. You know, we're in the, you know, but where in the hell are we getting the information from? <laughs> it sounds good. Um, but when I would say that, it would also also say if I was born an addict, you know, you know, it's in my DNA, whatever. That then that means I'm broke, you know, from the very from the very get go. There's something wrong with me. Okay, um, you cannot recover if you believe internally from the from the get go. There's something wrong with you that you're born defective. You know, you have to come to a, come from a place of no, I wasn't born defect. I'm born just fine. You know, shit happened. Shit happened, you know. Um, how that that stuff manifested as me being, an, you know, an addict having the disease of addiction. Who God only knows how that happens. You know, other people could it could manifest in other ways, and it does. But you know, um, so you had to get back to, down to roots and causes. You know, and this is what the emotional sobriety is about: is getting down to roots and causes, which which entails doing some really serious work really serious work, you know, therapeutic work, you know, 12 steps will take you, take you light years, but you still got to get, get down to roots and causes. And, um, mm -hmm. and, um, and I remember when I first heard that, and it says it right in the AA book that you had to get down to roots and causes, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, I think they made that one statement right off the, right off the, the boot, you know, alcohol, drugs is just a symptom of a deeper underlying problem. And then, of course, they don't go on to explain to you what the deeper underlying problem is. And, you know, and, and a lot of people in AA who are stuck at a certain level will say, oh, it's, um, it's a spiritual um, um, problem, you know, this, that. No, it's not. It's, 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 it, it goes back, you know, into, um, into our pathology. And um, so I did, you know, so you have to do that work. But the biggest work of all, okay, is number one, dealing with the shame. 
because this 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 definitely is a shame based disease. Absolutely, you know, it, it doesn't exist without shame. Um, the rest of other shit in our life doesn't exist without shame. Shame is what drives the self hate. You know, the, uh, the sense of I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's a absolutely overpowering. Um, and I'm not saying it's an emotion. It's 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 a state of being. Shame. You know, you know, you know. You know the difference between guilt and shame, right? Mm-hmm. Guilt is um, I did something wrong. I feel bad about it. Shame is I am bad. You know, one's internal, one's external. Um, so, so you know, the work of you know first breaking down the shame, you know, and coming to terms with the shame that it's the shame that I feel is not my shame. Number one, that there is nothing wrong with me. You know, the Tama calls a good man. He's kind, loving, gentle. That's who I am. I'm not my behavior. I am the things. I'm not the things I think, or things I want to do, or, or have done. You know, all that stuff is behaviors, and behaviors do change. Um, using is a behavior. You know, smoking smoking cigarettes is a behavior. They, you know, they have changed in my life. Um, so, so, but to get into the real emotional sobriety thing. You know where you where you you're making peace with yourself, and I think and that's the thing you're making peace with yourself. Mm. You got to learn to change the self talk. You know, and 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 that's the hardest job of all. You know, and and of course, you know the way I was instructed, a lot of it was just start doing affirmations. Um, you know, I. I I had this one sponsor that was great. You know, he gave me this, you know, I was all fucked up and, you know, and just, you know, going through shit. And he says, well, okay, I'm going I'm to pull out my, uh, my doctor's suit. He says, I'm going to write out a script for you. And he writes out this prescription. Okay. I want you to say this affirmation three times a day for 30 days. You know, I affirm in the spirit of God within me. And in the presence of God all about me, that I, Tom McCall, I'm a good man. I'm kind, gentle, loving. I'm not my behavior. I'm not, you know, um, I choose, I choose to um to to change. And um and I affirm this and I accept this. It says do it for three three times a day, morning, noon, and night for 30 days, and at the end of the end, we'll talk about it. You know, and, and I was locked into some really, really unhealthy behaviors, you know, sexually. You know that I couldn't stop, and um, you know it, it. It it helped. It helped stop it, man. Mm-hmm. You know. Then I had another an amazing, amazing therapist, who um, and a lot of you guys. I don't know if you, how many of you guys are you know, Tom or Alan are aware of Adlerian psychology. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a different form of psychology, mm-hmm. very different than the Freudian, you know, and all the other stuff. But Adlerian psychology is very. It's you know it's a pre behavior mod process but it's but it's a way of thinking you know so i happened to end up with this therapist who was an adlerian psychologist and and um and he would um i i remember going to his office and saying um listen i i, I got this this sexual problem I'm, I'm, it's out of control i can't stop it and he goes um he's okay so um says well let's let's do it he, let's do some tests. And he did a series of psychological tests with me. And at the, at the, at the end of the test, he says, well, the good news, you don't have a sexual problem. I says, I don't. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, you're really good at it. He goes, Jesus. 
Just tell them you could have sex day and night. You could you could, you can masturbate and then have <laughs> sex, you know. And you, he says, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> he says, he says you, you you've got an extraordinary high libido. He says that's normal for you. There's nothing that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Other people don't have that. That's normal for them, you know. And then he goes, um, he says, but um, but I but you do have a problem with low self esteem. You do have a problem with low self you know, um, image, you do have a problem with a, a, an unhealthy sex education, you do have a problem with the contempt for women, you do have a problem for, you know, self abuse. And, and he went on and on. And he goes, um, so, you know, we could work on that stuff if you want. You know, <laughs> it just wow. turned the whole fucking thing. <clears throat> you know, the focus on I got to stop fucking, you know, acting out sexually. And I said, but how do I stop acting out? He goes, well, you know, acting out is, um, he says, it's, um, it's, it's a compulsion. You know, he says, you, you can't control compulsion because it's subconscious. He says, so, so what's the work on the subconscious? I go, okay, whatever. And he goes, okay, we're going to do this. I'm going to, we're going to do some hypnosis. I'm going to put you under. And I go, well, I can't be hypnotized. He goes, yeah, I, I know. He says, but here, just sit down, put your hands on your knees and just sit here and just relax. Mm -hmm. I just want you to think. I think I want you to think of this place, this time where you were completely at peace with yourself. And I immediately knew this place. And he said, now just go there and stay there. Just, just breathe, feel it, smell it, smell the air. And I said, okay. And he goes, he says, and while you're doing that, I'm going to tie three balloons around your right index finger. One's yellow, the other's blue. And I want you to keep thinking of this place and the other's red. He goes, he goes, and they're about three feet from the ceiling. And I want you to keep thinking of this place. He goes, and I'm going to count 10, nine, eight. And my fucking hand went straight up. I, I couldn't fucking believe it. I couldn't believe it. my hand went up in the fucking air. And it, I, I did not do it. I, I know I, I started to even laugh. Mm -hmm. And I thought, holy shit. Am I that susceptible to, 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 to suggestion? You know, I mean, and I started thinking, I'm not sitting in front of that fucking TV set, but there's shit coming at you, <laughs> you know, your whole life, you know. And, and, you know no and kidding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Is right. And so, <laughs> so then he says, okay, so, so, he, so he gets, he gets me in this. He says, okay, no, he said, you know, he, he says, you know, so I'm going to take you a little bit deeper into the trance and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you suggestions because all suggestions have to be positive, you know. So I figured he'd give me a suggestion. I won't do this behavior anymore. I'll stop doing this, whatever. Mm -hmm. He goes, the suggestion is um, I choose to be a more effective husband and a more effective father. That was it. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, say it three times. And I said, I choose to be a more effective husband and a more effective father. So then when he brought me out of the trance, he says, um, I said, so why would... You give me that. And he goes, he says, because you're already a good father, Tom. You're already a good husband. You're just not very effective at it. That's great. <laughs> so, so that's what we want to focus on. I said, well, what does this got to do with my behavior? And he goes, trust me. He says, I'm going to teach you how to put yourself under. And I want you to do these, these um, suggestions to you every day. Mm -hmm. and, um, I'll be damned, man. The behavior stopped. It stopped. Mm -hmm. I stopped acting out. And, and I would think about it. And um, and um, 
like I remember going, you know, into his office one day because I, I did act out. I said, okay, I fucked up. I, 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 I blew it. And he goes, well, it was a mistake that you did that. I go, no, it wasn't a mistake. I did it purpose. I wanted to do it. He goes, well, it's a mistake that you wanted to do it. And I said, he says, and besides, we, we all learn from our mistakes. And I said, well, well, what do I learn from my mistakes then? And he thought for a minute and he goes, hmm. He says, well, we, we've determined that you've learned to repeat yours. And I, <laughs> and I said, gee, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> he goes, and then he just switches it up. He goes, do you like baseball? And I go, what? He goes, do you like baseball? I go, well, yeah. You know, I'm not really into the game much anymore. And he goes, but you, you're familiar with the game, right? I go, yeah. And he goes, he goes, um, do you know who the last person who batted a um, 400 game was? I said, yeah, it was Ted Williams. I'm from Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that was 1947. No one else has batted a 400 game since then. And there's only been a few before him. He goes, so the best in the world, the very best in the world, and there's only been a few of them have batted 400. You know what that means, right? 400 game, 400. That means every 10 times you get up at bat, you have a hit four times, 40%. So they're batting 40% out of 100. He goes, so what are you batting in life? He says, I know you're not batting 40%. He goes, because um, even the best in the world, and there's only been a few of them are doing that. So I said, well, I don't know, maybe 200? He goes, well, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of money, man. You know, you know, I walked out of his office thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not doing that bad man, in life. But, you know, but it's, you know, Patrick, it's that kind of thinking that has to, you know, we have to change the way we think about ourselves, you know, and um, because, you know, society has locked us into believing that, you know, there's something wrong with this and it's, and it's unfixable and, um, and we're not okay. You know, I hear so. it a lot of meetings. People will say this, you know, mm -hmm. I'm defective, right? Or, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tom. And one of the, you know, one of, one of the things that AA and NA does this and um, it's um, the, um, they have, um, and it's, it's it's good in the beginning. They tell you, you know, you know, when 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 you when you're in the course of doing your recovery, you focus on you. You don't focus on anybody else. What anybody else has done in your life, it's all you look at. You clean your side of the street off, right? Mm -hmm. Which which is a good a good principle, a good practice. But there comes a point, and 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 it really comes when you get into this emotional sobriety, where no, you got to look at what happened to you. You know, mm -hmm. there's some stuff that, you know, you were a victim. There are victimizers, mm -hmm. you know, and um, and you gotta you you gotta assign blame where it belongs. And, and, and most of us have assigned the blame to ourselves, and and we were innocent. And um, and that's a tough one because once once you start doing that, that means the relationship you have with a lot of these people has to change because you're now assigning blame to them that that they deserve to have and um they can deal with their own shame about that it's not it's not it's not our job to say to make them feel better about what they did to us you know no. it's it's our, our our job is just to, to 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 you know to place the shame where it belongs it's not with us so 
Yeah. I remember, Tom, I remember when one therapist one time just when I was talking about my shame, about stuff that was all shame based and, and it was just shocked the hell out of me when she said, you know, that doesn't belong to you. And, and she knew my story. And she, I said, what are you talking about? She says that every bit of that is your father's. Yeah. He says, it's not yours. And it, you know, from that moment forward, I still had, I had to sort that out, you know, what it was, but it's, it's like, you know, the idea is I was trying to work his karma, you know, it's like, it's because I didn't know better. It's so important. I love the stories. I love the, about what you're talking about with throughout everything you do, I think is, is, you know, and the Adlerian stuff specifically here today is, is, because I think that's what we do with our work too, Alan, is we, 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 when in doubt, we try to shake things up. We try to, you know, let's look at it a little bit different way. Look at it from this angle over here. It's not, it's not like, I, you know, I think that one of the things that's different for me than a young therapist is, is I'm no longer trying to find out the exact right way to do it. I'm trying to find out, a, you know, I'm, just, I'm exploring, I'm looking at, I'm, you know, sometimes just shaking it around, you know, just saying, I wonder what happens if we do this, you know, and you and I both use the word experiment a lot, you know, let's check it out. But I, that's right. so powerful. Right. It's shifting our perspective. But, you know, the other theme that stands out so much in everything you shared, Tom, is how you were able to take advantage of emergent opportunities in every situation you found yourself in. Like in the humiliation about not going to the Big Island with Flowbird, mm -hmm. there was another emergent opportunity that happened for you. You know, when you were, you know, in a, having all that struggle with your sexuality and acting out and stuff. There was another emergent opportunity. I mean, the thing I've known you through your whole life, even what you've gone through lately, you know, in terms of dealing with the, the loss of tally in your life and, and, and how you're coping with that. I mean, you are kind of like the poster boy for resilience. I swear to God, man, you just keep finding a way to keep moving forward and using these experiences to keep growing yourself along spiritual lines. I mean, it's, you know, I, I feel so blessed to have you in my life. Going back to the what I said in the very beginning, I lucked out. <laughs> I think we all just have. Thanks, Tom. All right, you guys. Change your life. Change your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing will entertain me like nobody else. So here's to us, my old friends. Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me